Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. No music, no intro, folks. We, we talked about it, about getting Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network on the podcast. And Tony has, has graced us with, her, with his time. Uh, this is a reunion, not a reunion anniversary episode. We first did our first episode of Hashtag Saints Twitter podcast, um, March 26, 2020, which feels like forever ago. And Tony was our first guest on the episode. Uh, Tony's doing incredible things at Pro Football Network, his podcast um, with Trey Wingo every Wednesday, Draft Insiders, um, his, his rumors um, for the NFL and the draft that he puts out every week, the mailbag. Tony, thank you so much for coming on. We're, we're big fans. Thanks for having me again. It's good to be back with you guys. So we're going to get it right, right into it, Tony. Um, we, we started talking about 2020 when we were on the episode last year. And at that point, there was potentially rumblings that the Saints potentially were interested in adding a wide receiver at 24 in the draft. They kind of surprised everyone by drafting Cesar Ruiz um, out of Michigan um, and also Zach Bond in that draft class just hasn't seemed to, I mean, it's, it's early. It's only been one year, but that, that draft class has started out shaky in terms of production. Um, what, what are your thoughts about those prospects and just how it's been kind of a slower transition for them um, coming into the league? Well, I mean, they took Cesar Ruiz, who was a very good center at Michigan, and they moved them to guard. And it was a surprising pick, obviously, because you said we talked about receiver. And, that, and everyone thought receiver Jordan Love was still there, you know, maybe their quarterback for the future. And then they take Ruiz, who was a real good center at Michigan, as I said, even though they had a pretty good center that they drafted the year before and Eric McCoy. So I think, well, you know, right away, you know, when you do that, you take a guy that people were surprised you selected and then you move him to the, uh, you know, you move him to a different position. There's going to take some sort of adjustment. Yeah, I, I would have liked to seen, uh, you know, what Ruiz could have done had they uh, had they moved him uh, or had they kept him at center, but they didn't need to keep him at center. They take Troutman around three again, a, a, a nice selection, but not really a high need. Uh, and then they take Zach Bond in, in the third round, which a lot of people thought was a uh, was a steal. I, I was never very high on Zach Bond. If you remember, there were mm. people who were grading him as a potential first round pick. Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be a, a real good edge rusher. I, I think Bourne, I thought all along there were going to be bumps in the road in this game. He's got a bit of upside, but he just has to learn to become a real good football player. Mm, that's interesting you say that because uh, we have on pretty good sources that said, you know, Zach Bond, Zach Bond would have been the first round pick for the Saints if Caesar Rees wouldn't have been there. So, you know, he wound up falling a little more and we got, you know, was it was lucky to get him later. But yeah, he was, he, you know, me and Adam, we covered him. We uh, did a kind of a little draft study on him before they drafted him. And he wasn't really someone we loved either. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, maybe we'll see. But it, as soon as they drafted him, they, they said they were going to put him at the mic 
position. And everybody was just like, huh? You know, so I don't know. But it was the last year's draft was one of those drafts where we just kind of look back and it's like, you know, what were they really thinking? But uh, I guess with uh, this draft coming up, uh, just a lot going on. And I know you've been writing heavy over at, uh, you know, at, at Pro Football Network. Uh, what what's standing out to you so far in this draft as far as like the big storyline coming in that you're looking for? Well, obviously, the big storylines are the trades that have happened so far. Mm. And the secondary storylines are we may have five quarterbacks that are stuffed into the top 10 selections of this year's draft, which, in my mm. opinion, is just further evidence of how quarterbacks are overdrafted in the league. Mm. You know, you, you've got Trevor Lawrence, who is far and away the best prospect in this draft. So he's the top quarterback prospect in this draft. I'm sorry, the top prospect in this draft happens to be a quarterback. You got Zach Wilson, who is a real good quarterback prospect. You got Justin Fields, who is a real good quarterback prospect. And then you have got two guys that contradict, uh, have contradictory styles. You got Trey Lance, who's got great physical skills, who really hasn't played that much football, especially starting on a one double A level just for one year. And then you got Mac Jones, who doesn't have the great physical skills of the other players I just mentioned. Definitely not of Trey Lance, definitely not the same as Justin Fields, but he's probably more NFL ready uh, than any of those guys. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, are we going to have quarterbacks go one, two, three, four? It's obviously you're going to have quarterbacks go one, two, three. We'll see what happens with that fourth choice. So that, that right now is the big story. Combine medicals going on right now. We'll see what happens as far as off the field issues with these guys, what, we, what leaks out over the next two weeks. Yeah, a lot of a lot of things uh, and to keep track of. One one name you brought up the the combine medicals and the medicals and the, and the prospect that you said might take a tumble in the draft is the cornerback from uh oh, can't even think what school he went to. Uh, Caleb Burley, yeah, Virginia Tech. Um, and and how that the back surgery um may keep may may make him fall in the draft. Ryan and I, we, we kind of know the Saints MO. Uh, they kind of like take, not like, but they have a MO of taking players that may have been injured in college. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Jole Kikaha that they drafted out of, out of Washington. Um, and it just would not shock me at all if, you know, for whatever reason, if Caleb Farley's there at 28, if the Saints were, you know, to select him. What are What is your feel of where he could go just in range-wise in the draft in regards to him opting out and the back surgery and the prior back injuries he had even prior to the surgery? Yeah, he's getting a lot of second-round grades right now uh, from teams around the league, or at least some teams I've spoken with. Right now, he's also graded as the number four cornerback on a number of boards after Sertain, after J.C. Horn, after Greg Newsom of Northwestern. So... I think right now you're looking at late first, potential early second. I mean, number one, I thought the early prognostications that Farley was a top 10 pick was way off in my estimation. He was never that kind of corner. He was a guy that showed great flashes, but there were also a lot of lapses in his game. Go back and watch the Notre Dame game from 2019, where at times he played great, at times he was blowing coverages. He had a great amount of upside. I thought that opting out was a mistake because there were some positions you obviously want to see all players continue to improve and develop their game. But there are some positions where you really want to see that development and that development can help you like a cornerback 
which would have, I believe would have helped Love Farley, or a player can go in the opposite direction. Look at Sean yeah. Wade of Ohio State, who a lot of people thought at one point in time was a first round pick. He's clinging on, you know, he's holding on to deal life to be a day two selection. So I thought opting out was a mistake and the ever recurring back injuries are a big issue. You know, it, it's not like it's a joint where it can be uh, a knee joint where it can be fixed uh, or something like that. You have one back injury. You're likely to have a second back injury. You have one back surgery. You're likely to have a, a second back surgery. And, and as I said uh, in the question, uh, I'm sorry, in an article I wrote last Monday, while his team is saying he'll be ready for a camp. I'm told he may not be ready to play football, which I think uh, teams will determine, you know, these next couple of days over combine medicals. That's, that's big news. If he's not ready to play, play football, like, or is that like, he's not ready to play football, even like at the beginning of the season in September or I'm told he was not won't be ready for to play football for football activities until August. Now, can he get up to speed? You know, August is a big month. It's just speculation at this point in time. Yeah. You know, because like this was I wrote this article before the combine medicals. Now, right. does August mean the beginning of August, the middle of August, the end of August? I guess that will be determined uh, by teams during the combine medicals. And the thing with combine medicals is it's not broad brush. It's not you know what one team. Uh, says on a player is not necessarily what every other team will say. So there will be some teams that could fail him. There will be some, which means that they'll take him off the board. There will be some teams that will flag him, which means they'll give him anywhere from a half a round to a full round grade penalty, if you will. Uh, if, if he's graded as a mid first rounder, uh, they could flag him anywhere to a late first round to uh, early uh, mid second rounder. And then it will, there probably could be some teams that say, listen, this doesn't bother us. So we're just going to draft them. Um, it looks like uh, a lot of people just uh, within the NFL, you know, analyst community and insiders, they've been saying that, you know, Sean Payton is not done at quarterback yet, even with Jameis signed and, uh, and Taysom Hill. You know, that, you know they say uh, uh, Michael Lombardi talked about him uh, working real hard on that Sam Donald to see if they can get a hold of Sam's Don Donald in the building. Um, there's a links to Kyle Trask uh, from you know the Florida Gator quarterback. What what I don't know much about Kyle Trask. What he's kind of been like left out of that little small group of quarterbacks that's talked about. What is it with him where that kind of knocks him down a couple pegs from those other guys that's being pushed up? The lack of mobility, basically, uh, plain and simple. I mean, it, 20, 25 years ago, Kyle Trask was probably a first-round pick. Mm. But with the uh, really the transition to mobile quarterbacks, the RPO-type quarterbacks uh, these days, uh, yeah. Kyle Trask really has a lack of immobility. You can say that Mac Jones isn't your RPO-type quarterback. I would agree with that. But he is even more mobile than Kyle Trask as far as the ability to elude the rush, get outside the pocket uh, with ease and make the throw, uh, uh, throw on the move. He can do those things, but it's been a little bit more of a struggle for him because he doesn't have that great mobility. Obviously, you're not really going to run too many designed uh, quarterback runs with Kyle Trask. He's got a decent arm, doesn't have a rifle of an arm, but I think it's the fact that you know with, with so much play action, with so, much, uh, so many teams wanting uh, quarterbacks to roll out and throw on the move, Kyle Trask is more of your prototypical old-fashioned 
if you will, pocket passer. And in this day and age, that's kind of a, a, down, a downgrade or, or that's going to hurt you at that position. So interesting. Yeah, it is. It's funny. I watched three games of them when I think Jeremy Fowler of ESPN kind of came out and reported that the Saints or Sean Payton would be intrigued of at, adding Kyle Trask, you know, at some point after the first round of the draft. And so I watched more of them and he reminded I, I, I told Ryan he reminds me of a more accurate Taysom Hill. If you just take away all of Taysom Hill's athletic ability, <laughs> like just in terms of like just play style. So the, the lack of mobility thing is that definitely stands out. Um, one thing that I've always uh, given you, you uh, Tony, a lot of credit for is, and this kind of happened it, before COVID and, and a COVID free world when you're going to pro days is you were very on top of, who the Saints were linked to, whether it's Michael Thomas, whether it's Stefan Anthony, um, and kind of how those projections that the Saints potentially would really be interested in drafting those players in the draft. Um, with COVID and pro, like pro days are still happening, um, what can you tell us of it, what, potentially what you're hearing of maybe who the Saints might be interested in in adding in this upcoming draft this month? I don't have, you know, I'll know probably more next week because. Uh, Final draft meetings are taking place, but you've got to remember, I mean, pro days were completely different this year than, right. day, than in years past. There were no dinners with the players the day, the night before pro days. There was no lunches after pro day workouts. There was really no one-on-one -on -one meetings, you know, the way they have been in the past. It was three representatives from each team or maximum, I should say, three representatives from each team. You know, came into the room, watched the pro day workout. Maybe they chatted with a player and then they left. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been tough to get information because of that. Uh, but I think what will happen is over the course of the next week and a half, as teams have their final draft meetings, uh, that information will hopefully loosen up. Tony, do is with the with the way this whole off season is. I mean, it's very, it's different. It's even different from last year because at least last year, most of the scouting was done. They had the combine and all that stuff. But with this this year, I mean, are boards kind of going to be a little all, all over the place, or do they? Do you see it just kind of being similar? It's pretty much being similar to every other year, uh, just with the way, like you just discussed, like no, you know, no, no dinners, no lunches. And that's really like the, the stuff they really want to do. They really want to get inside the mind of these guys and, you know, see what makes them tick and how much they love football and all that stuff. You just can't really do none of that now. Well, you can through Zoom meetings. You know, a, a couple of things. It, it's more than just the combine. And it's not that the most of the scouting is done at the combine. But what happens at the combine is 325 players undergo medical exams. Yeah. And the medical exams are the most important part of the combine. It's not the 40 time. It's not the vertical jump. It's the combine. Then it's the interviews. Then it's the testing. Um, so what's happening is rather than 325 players or invitees being medically examined at the combine, you're only going to have a, about 150 guys that were invited to Indianapolis this week for the medical combine. Mm. So that means that, you know, you've got 255 guys that are selected. That means there's going to be more than 100 guys that never received medicals. And remember, when a player is invited into a team's, uh, to, invited to a team, in, you know, in, into their facilities, 
as a uh, official draft visit, they do an exam at that point in time. So that, you know, that, that's even more uh, exams that aren't being completed. So number one, a lot of these guys, especially in the later rounds, teams are going to be drafting blindly because they haven't been able to actually do a hands-on exam with these players. Uh, I think it's going to be probably crazier than it w- was last year. Uh, there's a smaller pool of players to draft from because, you know, number one, you've got a lot of seniors, not players that would have affected the first round, but players that would have affected the second day, seniors who are actually going back for their second senior season uh, as the NCAA allotted them to. So there's a smaller pool of players. You really have a fraction of what you would have from small school players, non-division 1A players, if you will. Uh, I mean, you usually have anywhere from 15 to 18 guys from that uh, division uh, who are selected. That pool of players is going to be uh, is going to be reduced. I mean, I think there's just a lot of unknowns. It's not just the combine. It's also the senior bowl and the, the way the senior bowl was run. You know, the senior bowl is usually the unofficial start of free agency. There's a lot of one-on-one interviews, which did take place this year. But there's also a lot of, you know, kind of laid-back interviews where a scout will grab a player, pull him to a table, and talk to him for 15 or 20 minutes. That didn't happen this year. You didn't have the Shrine game this year where a lot of guys are interviewed. So there's a lot of unknowns. I, I, I think you asked a good question. My opinion is I think it's going to be crazier than last year. But I can also see somebody saying, you know what, there's a reduced number of players. The talent this year – this year's draft is sort of reduced because of the circumstances and there may not be as many uh, surprises. Mm. It's, it's, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Uh, very excited to, for us to do our first live, uh, live, live stream during the draft. I think we're going to be surprised or get a lot of surprises on draft day. Um, two players that I have kind of extensively watched and, the Saints have had a historically terrible time with drafting linebackers. Like it's just been atrocious just over the years. But I watched Xavier Collins from Tulsa. I watched Jeremiah Olsu from Notre Dame. And I, I love them both. They're completely two different linebackers and two different players. Um, but what are your thoughts on them as players? And could you see either one of them or both being there at 28 when the Saints are on the clock? The answer to your second question is no. I think both will be gone. Uh, I, I think they are linebackers with contrasting styles. Uh, the Notre Dame linebacker, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce because I, I will butcher the name Ed. I would just call him Jeremiah. I mean, he basically what teams are looking at these days. Yeah. You know, your safety size linebackers who cover a lot of area, who get from point A to point B in a, in a nick of time to make the play, but he's got outstanding instincts. He's not just good in pursuit against the run. He gets depth on his pass drops, and he can cover the pass. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the way the, the, the formation, the 4-3 that the, uh, the Saints use, he would be more of your traditional 4-3 weak side linebacker, uh, but I don't think he's going to be there. Same thing with Zayvon Collins. So Zayvon Collins is a guy I've been on for a long, long time now. Uh, I got to interview him. He's a guy who has got incredible measurables, a shade under six foot five, a shade under 260 pounds, runs and plays in the four sixes. 
He's a forceful linebacker up the field. He's basically a throwback linebacker. He's the type of linebacker that teams drafted and coveted really through the 80s. The bigger, forceful guy that's an impact defensive player. He's also a smart guy. He's a pre-med major uh, at Tulsa. He's got a great amount of upside. I've gone on record to say he's probably not going to go into the middle of round one, maybe the early 20s. But I firmly believe that if David Collins is correctly used, two or three years down the line, people are going to be wondering why he was not a top 10 selection. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's one of my favorite players in the draft. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the, the athletic or the, the build, but he. I get some like shades of like Anthony Barr watching him just in terms of just how both they're just great athletes for their size. But I'm a big fan of, of Xavier Collins. I think he's more instinctive than uh, Anthony Barr. And Anthony Barr was a darn good quarterback coming out of uh, UCLA, basically wrecked uh, Matt Barkley's career, if, if you remember that. But uh, Collins, uh, when I, I had him on the, our podcast and I asked him to explain that play against Tulane, uh, people may remember where he intercepted the pass uh, – in overtime and then ran the ball back like 85, 90 yards for a touchdown to win the game. And his explanation was absolutely incredible. He's standing in space. You know, uh, the running back ran a different route. He knew the quarterback was, was trying to bait him, but he just held his ground and then made an athletic play uh, to intercept the ball and took it the other way. It was a great, co- great combination of instincts and athleticism mm-hmm. for uh, Collins. I'll, I'll follow up with I'll follow with another player. And this player was was brought to our attention uh, by our friend Scott Wright, who uh, formerly of, of Draft Countdown, um, when he came on the show a couple of months ago, uh, just preparing preparing us for the draft. Um, he told us about uh, Jalen Phillips uh, and as a sneaky player that may be there at 28, uh, that could be in the same range. And I immediately went to watch him and and I immediately said, in this class, that's, that's not great at edge rusher. Like, there's no way I see him being there at 28. Nope. Uh, just because he – like, I, I watched one game and was just blown away by how, how well he played. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Jalen Phillips for Miami? I know, it, you know, Scott kind of gave us the whole rundown. He retired from football because of concussions and there's injuries. And so there's, you know, obviously some knocks against him, but just his, his tape and his – play from last year was was outstanding yeah I, I mean you know on film he grades out as a mid to late first rounder and i mean you know if you saw his pro day workout if you saw his pro day numbers you know he tests as well as he plays and basically he made gregory rousseau look you know pedestrian with his yes. workout numbers and yes. you know you know he is a guy that I think he's more, he doesn't have the size of Rousseau, but I think he's much more complete, much more polished than Rousseau. But the fact that he retired from football with concussions and has had other injury issues, that, that's going to raise a red flag. And, and again, I guess it's, you know, it's the way a team looks at that. I mean, some teams will say, you know, we're going to stay away. Some teams will say, yeah, we like them, but these injury issues, uh, we're going to put a half around grade penalty on them or a round grade penalty on them, if you will. And some may say, you know, it's okay. I, I just don't know, you know, what would the Saints do with them with Cameron Jordan there with Marcus Davenport? I mean, I know Davenport has never really lived up to expectations, despite yeah. the fact they gave away 
you know, godly sums of uh, draft capital to move up to get him. Don't, don't remind uh, us, Tony. Don't remind <laughs> us. <laughs> so, you know, if you draft yeah, Jalen Phillips, are you are you saying that Marcus Davenport is a mistake? I, I yes. Don't, <laughs> I, just, I think the Saints just have an interesting – because Marcus Davenport's fifth-year option, they have to make a decision on that May 4th, I believe. Um, and when Trey – like, we can – Saints fans can argue this all they all they want, but Trey Hendrickson completely outplayed Marcus Davenport last season, and it wasn't particularly close. So I think for us as Saints fans, me and Ryan have talked about the Saints' defensive line as a whole has taken uh, hits in the depth. And Kevin Jordan's getting older; he didn't have the greatest season last season. Marcus Davenport so up and down, and he's injury prone that. The edge position for the Saints is a sneaky need for for the team as as a whole. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but it could be that the Saints' time has passed them by. You know, with, mm. with the with the retirement of Drew Brees and the fact that they're starting to develop holes. I, I mean, they put a lot of capital into the offensive line. Yeah, uh, they got a really good player in Alvin Kamara. Uh, but you know, it's, if they don't do it soon, it could be a situation where it quickly falls off the cliff for the saints. No, no, I agree. We've talked about this on this podcast. I said uh, a couple of weeks ago that this draft, you know, and this free, this free agency, or particularly this draft, they really kind of need to retool. They've kind of rode on that 2017, that terrific 2017 draft for a while, you know, now guys are getting older. They're getting paid now. So you kind of got to you know, put some fresh tools in the tool shed uh, to keep it going. Uh, my last question for you, Rashad Bateman of Minnesota, I really, really do like him. I know there have been a few questions about him. Uh, what what was your, your read on him uh, in coming out this year? Well, I mean, he had a dominant season in 2019. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought he would be a top 10 pick. I never thought he was that type of receiver. But he was absolutely dominant, and I thought he was the guy who was probably bottom half of round one. Uh, didn't play all that well in 2020. But if you remember, he originally said he was opting out to prepare for the draft. The Big Ten delayed the start of their season to November or end of October, whenever it was. And he returned and didn't play very well. But then again, the Minnesota Gophers really didn't play very well as a team. Did have a, a real good Friday workout. I know that there are some teams that have moved them up draft boards. So uh, I like him. I like his upside. It's just a matter of getting him back to where he was uh, and at, at his 2019 level. Will he be there for the uh, Saints? I'm going to say right now 50-50 because he's a guy that in talking with people in the league, talking with teams, he seems to be moving up a bit because of the fact that you know, while there is a good, it, this is a good receiver draft, there is a big drop off after those next three guys. Mm. After, I'm sorry, after those top three guys, uh, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddle. Right. Uh, so uh, Bateman kind of bridges that gap to the uh, next tier of receivers. Last one I have for Tony, I'm going to combine two players. A lot of Saints fans uh, and a lot of Saints medias uh, kind of sliding in. Greg Newsom of Northwestern to the Saints. Uh, I remember reading your your pro day, and he I guess he ran a good forty time, but he I believe per the reporting just didn't potentially look maybe good in in the positional drills when speaking to coaches. Um, 
I watch them. I'm not the biggest Craig Newsom fan, um, but what what are your thoughts on, on him? And then the last one I have is one of the players I love the most in this draft is Kadavis Tony from Florida. Uh, I think him with Sean Payton could create magic. He he reminds me of Alvin Kamara at the wide receiver position and just how their playing style and, and their balance. Um, where is his range, and, and could he be there for the Saints at 28 as well? I, I think Tony will be there. I, I think 28 is the earliest, or, or that late part of round one is the earliest where Tony goes. Good receiver, fast receiver, not a true home run uh, threat. You know, when he ran, what he run? In the mid-4-4s at Pro Day, people were surprised. I was not because he just does not show that second gear yeah, on he film. No. He's fast, but he just doesn't have that second gear. Bit of a thin body. I would agree with you. You know, depending on what happens with Michael Thomas, I think he's a real good, you know, it kind of complements, you know, the bigger uh, possession type receivers. Uh, so I think he will be there. Greg Newsom, coming into the season, if you read my stuff over the summer, I like Greg Newsom a lot. I had him graded as a third round selection. He played very well. He doesn't play to his speed. He doesn't play to his 40 time on film. If you watch him on film, he's more of a, you know, a mid four four guy, yep. early four five guy. Then he, you know, was a four three one or whatever the heck he what ran it, whatever he ran at pro day. Uh, so it's a matter of coaching him to play to this to that speed. I was told he was not in shape during uh, uh, pro day workouts, and, and when the position drill started, he looked gassed, and and the scouts on hand, uh, scouts who were there, were getting on him about that. He's a good cover guy. He's a physical cover guy. Uh, at times, he's tough to scout because opponents. Don't throw in his direction because he was uh, Northwestern's top cover guy. I like his upside. You know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to count that it, the a, the instance or the issue at Pro Day as a one-off type of incident for Newsom, and, and just assume that it doesn't happen moving forward because of the kind of player he is on field. You know, I, I think if Celeb Farley there is there and Greg Newsom is there, I think the difference between the two is. Farley probably has more upside. Farley's more explosive, but Farley has a back injury. And, you know, and Greg Newsom has been a very consistent player for Northwestern. And it's just, like I said, it's just a matter of coaching him to play to his 40 time. It's so funny you said that because literally Ryan and I were having this debate in our text yep. message just like two days ago. <laughs> same. Same, same players, same debate. I was on the Caleb Farley side. Ryan was on the Greg Newsom side. <laughs> It's so good. It's so, uh, it's so fascinating. It is. It is. I, I know we, we don't want to keep up too much of your time, Tony. Thank you so much for coming on this episode and having a, an anniversary episode with us with Saints Twitter Podcast. Please uh, follow Tony's work. Go to Pro Football Network. Listen to the Draft Insiders podcast on Wednesday. He breaks so much news and has so much like little nuggets that it doesn't get widely reported. It's insane. His his mailbags, his his draft rumors that's posted on Pro Football Network. Anytime they're posted, I read them immediately. Been a huge fan of Tony for a long time. So again, Tony, thank you so much for coming on and give, giving us your time and spending some time with us. Been fun. It's been fun being back with you guys uh, again. Good luck moving forward. Really appreciate it, Tony. Thanks. And with that, we're out. Peace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.